0: This is The Blunt Doctor Show on a Monday, and we recently talked about the Rockets on the show, who had the number two overall pick, so it only makes sense that we continue the trend of, you know, getting some high-drafted team fans-slash-expert types in here to discuss what we've got going on with some of these teams at the top of the draft, and so I wanted to bring in someone who knows the Pistons like a motherfucker, and, uh... So we're going to bring in Jasper Apollonia from the Palace of Pistons podcast here in a moment. And again, uh, he knows, I mean, we just chopped it up here for a little over an hour, and I mean, this is informational as fuck, so get ready to learn a lot about the Pistons. I feel like I learned a ton just sitting here talking to him because we covered everything, what the Pistons in the draft, free agency, what we think the outlook is, and at the end of it, I really enjoyed... Jasper kind of got a little passionate and defended Detroit from some of the things that Jalen Green said I kind of like that Uh, And he talked about one of his uh, favorite potential spicy takes for the upcoming NBA season So this is a really good podcast A lot of good information, a lot of good stuff Let's just go ahead and let's fucking dive right in Again, you gotta check out the Palace of Pistons podcast Because you're about to get hit with a wall of info right here You're gonna want a ton more So, go check it out Let's go And joining me now from the Palace of Pistons podcast, person who I enjoy interacting with very much on Twitter, who has strong opinions about Pistons life and just real life in general. So that's the kind of person we like to have on this show. Jasper Apollonia, what's up, man? Thank you for joining,
1: Blunt Doctor. Thank you so much for for having me. It's a it's a real pleasure to speak to you in person instead of just over Twitter, a, a notoriously good tool for getting to know people on a deeper level.
0: Yeah. I, uh, the, the 280 characters just doesn't do it enough for me. I remember back in the days of one forty, I felt like I was drowning every time I tried to tweet. Cause I couldn't even, I, I am not concise. Let's put it (laughs) that way. I am verbose. And so Twitter doesn't do it for me. And that's, that's honestly the whole reason I have this podcast is so that one day I'll be able to be like, you know what? I'm done talking. That's, that's it. That's the whole reason this whole thing exists is so that one day I can just be done. But that day is not today because I want to talk about the Pistons because any team that has the number one overall pick in the draft is very interesting for probably the next, what, three years based on what, you know, and could be much longer. I was going to say
1: good. with the way the Supermax works out, it's pretty much impossible not to hold on to somebody for at least, at least eight years yeah uh in their career it's unless, difficult
0: unless they wiggins or bennett is the you know then you did you unless they go that route then you then you're dying to move off of but yes uh, so just just diving in and and this is i did uh, a, a rockets podcast with a friend recently and this is something that i find really interesting just between houston and detroit were you at were you team cade like did you you were sold on Cade, you're a Cade guy, or w- did you have questions? Where were you coming into the draft?
1: I mean, for me, Cade has always been the number one pick. Uh, on the Palace of Pistons podcast, we discussed several times uh, between Suggs and Mobley and Green, who do you want out of those guys? Be- for a couple reasons. One, because I think most Pistons fans, just with their draft lottery luck, kind of just assumed that there was no chance they were going to get the number one pick. And two, because, at least for me, it was so clear that Cade was the guy, even before the college basketball season started. I'm not a big high school basketball person. I saw him play a couple games, and if people out there who are listening do know high school basketball a little bit, you know, that Montverde Academy team was... Like, beyond loaded. It wasn't just Cade. It was Scotty Barnes. It was Caleb, House, uh, Caleb Houston. Like, this was a, a squad. And Cade was the best player on that team and the leader, easily. Same went for the United States under-17 team. When he was on that team, he was the best player and he was the leader. And when he went to Oklahoma State, nothing changed there. It was the same thing. He was the leader. He was the best player. He elevated that team far beyond what their talent level was. So for me, yeah, it's always been Cade. The talk before the draft around, oh, well, you know, maybe they want Green. Maybe they want Mobley. I understand on some level that that was people who need clicks and also Troy Weaver and the staff doing their due diligence but truly for me had it been anyone other than Cade I would have been extremely disappointed and frankly I would have been a little bit worried because I think it was it really was that obvious
0: so um the so okay okay I like that you use the word obvious because that means like there's no obviously no doubt in your mind nothing like that because I mean this interestingly enough to me, I mean, it was pretty hotly debated. Like this reminded me a little bit of. Um, <laughs> OK, and I'm going to I'm going to make myself sound bad here because. Well, whatever, I'm just going to say it. Like this reminded me a little bit of the Aiton Donchich thing, where mm. in this case, Cade would be Doncic, And you had this like, well, are we going to talk ourselves into something else thing? And obviously the Aiton thing has worked out for the Suns and just in terms of you know they roster.
1: made it to the nba they right, made yeah. it to the finals we to the, finals, the <laughs> it worked team, out okay yeah,
0: it worked out just fine i just mean in terms of like if you asked a basketball scout at that time they would have said the pick was obviously doncic and so the pistons didn't do the thing where they're like well we're going to be smarter and we're going to outsmart everyone and we're going to talk ourselves into whatever they took the obvious you know pick and i think that's the right thing to do i know everyone in houston is Selling the whole, oh, we really wanted Jalen Green. You always, you always want, you know, everyone always wants who they got. Did the, did the thing Jalen Green said piss you off at all? Or do you care? Um,
1: I mean, look, if you're from the Detroit area, you're kind of used to it at this point. Like, I like to, you know, fire off my takes on Twitter. But, but honestly, I'm a pretty reasonable person. The kid's 19. Like, he's a good looking dude. I'm sure he's never been rejected by anyone or anything in his entire life. So, yeah, I kind of get it. And, like, I don't fault Houston fans for buying into Jalen Green. I think he's going to be a really, really good player. And I think, actually, the, the Aton Doncic situation is actually, like, a good comparison. Because, for me, it was obviously Luka. Like, Luka was the guy. But, like... For me, number two was Triple J. So, like, sometimes it's not so obvious in that two spot, that three spot. It's really just comes down to, like, are you getting a good player? And, like, I think Jalen Green is a really, really good player. And he's going to be a really good player in this league for a long time. So, I don't fault Houston fans for feeling that way. Um, But, yeah, like I said, I think... Cade was just such for me clearly the guy and I think a big reason why Cade was the number 1 pick the consensus number 1 pick was because a lot of people learned from their misevaluations regarding Luca. There were questions is he athletic enough at the NBA level, big enough, strong enough, fast enough, blah blah blah. I think those have been a lot of the questions regarding Cade. And the reason it didn't hold him back so much was because people have seen, in today's NBA, skill, shooting, those things matter more than anything else. Right. You don't need to jump out of the gym. If you got a bag, you got a bag. And Cade's got a bag yeah. on both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah. And and I, and I, I largely agree with that, especially – I mean <laughs> – You're right. The Luca comparison is apt from that regard because it was that was basically every single thing that anyone said about Luca, right? Was does he have the athleticism? Does he, you know, can he play in this league and whatnot? And I acknowledge, like, I was on that. From my perspective, I was burned by the Dragon Bender thing. So I wasn't properly evaluating stuff because I was just like, no more Euro players. (laughs) I was just (laughs) wrong. Do you think, um, do you think this just takes the ball out of Killian Hayes' hands permanently or am I just, you know seeing this wrong and those two can coexist like what do you how do you view that because I was someone who really liked Killian Hayes coming into last year obviously it was like a long-term thing I didn't think like anyone who thought coming in he was going to be like elite right away was I think missing the point but I don't know now what this does if it affects him at all what do you what do you see there well I think that is
1: the biggest question for the Pistons this season is like You already know what you're getting from Sadiq Bey. You already know what you're getting from Isaiah Stewart. You know what you're getting from Jeremy Grant. What are you getting from Killian Hayes? And can he work with Kate Cunningham? I think yes, but I'm not going to act like it's a foregone conclusion here. The things he does well, he does really well. Like, I don't think it's crazy to say that he's already one of the 10 or so best passers in the league, just based on passing talent. And I don't think it's crazy to say that one day he could be one of the five best passers in the league. Some of the things he does on the court with the ball in his hands are spectacular. On the other hand, his defense is also so high level for a guy that just turned 20. He is big, he is strong, he's quick. So like even if he gets beat off the dribble, he has that ability to recover and get in front of guys with his length and and his quickness. He's got great hands. He can get you blocks at point guard, which is always really nice. I think in some ways he kind of compliments uh, uh, Kate Cunningham in that sense. Like there is already, you can see the potential for this to be maybe the best defensive backcourt in the NBA. That's, that's good. The problem is of course it's that shot. And and I don't think I'm saying anything crazy here. Like, you need to show the growth there. It's, it's just at the three-point line, too. And, like, yeah, the questions are there, and they need to be answered, but you can see where it could go. He shot 32% on catch and shoot threes last year. That's not great, but it's better than his, what, 27% overall. You can, like, literally see the difference in form when he gets his feet underneath him. He's an 80% or so, like, free throw, free throw shooter. So you can see the possibility. You right. can absolutely see where he can go. The floater game is there. He can shoot in from the free throw line in. So like for me, I think he has definitely has a future in this league, definitely has a future with this team. I think what the question is, is, is that future as the starting guard next to Kate Cunningham, or is it more of a role player? Is he more of like, I'm trying to think of a good comparison here, like a, uh, like a Ricky Rubio type,
0: sure. you know? Or what Goran Dragic in Miami. Um, well, Dragic is a good shooter, but I just yeah, mean. Dra- a Dragic man. can fill it up, baby. <laughs> but I just mean, is this sixth man coming off the bench? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Um, did, I'm, I'm just curious. I don't, I, just because I don't know the answer. When, 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 uh, when the Pistons took Hayes, were you, Wanting Halliburton or where were you?
1: I, I'm willing to admit I didn't. I was maybe, I, I mean, I think like what we saw last year was basically what the situation was going into the draft. Halliburton was more ready to come into the league and contribute to a team immediately. Killian needs more work. Sure. I, I For me, Killian was the guy with a little bit of an edge for me just because I saw the upside there in terms of the defense and the passing. And I just think long-term he has more upside than Halliburton. Sure. That being said, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of a toss up. I would have been happy with either guy to be honest.
0: I was like begging for Halliburton at 10. Mm. You know, I was, I was like, come on, man. I, I, you know, I really felt, but the way that the Suns did things like he never even would have really played because they, you know, brought back so many guards and, um well, dude, I could go into the Suns. I could hey the the and...
1: campaign. I mean, look, if campaign doesn't come back and play like a actual NBA player, like an actual good NBA player, I do think you have a point. I think I think the Suns would really have been kicking themselves for not taking Halliburton. But, I think,
0: yeah, I think it you there was a real situation where that became a fucking nightmare because of how well Halliburton played, and because of the fact that Jalen Smith got COVID. And didn't play. And that's not on him. And I'm not trying to put that on him. It's just that no matter what you lose a rookie season to, when you have an entirely basically lost rookie season for a top 10 pick, that is something of note. You know, it's not, I'm not trying to put it on him, but that is certainly a thing, especially when Tyrese Halliburton played well. Now he got hurt too, blah, blah, blah. We can, you know, you can relitigate those things a million times, but man, I just, yeah, I could like I could sit here and go through what ifs for last season. Like, I'm so happy that the Suns signed JaVale McGee, but I'm like sitting here, like, why didn't we acquire him at the trade deadline, guys? Like, I'm like just, you know, like I'm going into it in my head. Yeah. I <laughs> you know, I was not thrilled. I was not
1: thrilled seeing all those Frank Kaminsky minutes in the finals. And, at least if I was a Suns fan, I would be I'd be making some questions there. It's interesting. I mean, I know we're talking about the Pistons, but it was a really interesting. Like, for me, because the Suns have made some picks that, like, you really would question and made some moves that you really would question, but they kind of, for the most part, all worked out. Like, when they took Cam Johnson, I think most people saw that as being way too early for Cam Johnson, but, like, it worked out. When Cam Payne became their backup point guard, I think a lot of people were like, uh, that could be an issue, but it worked out. So, like, sometimes that's just the league, right?
0: Yeah, and I have learned to trust James Jones. I mean, the can and the, I'll I'll tell you what, the Cam Johnson thing is where where I really learned it because like I I liked Jarrett Culver coming into the league, but with Devin Booker on the team, I had like no idea where he was gonna fit. So I was just like, I don't really, I didn't really see it. So when he moved back, I was like, oh, that's okay. Because then Brandon Clark was available at 11 and all of Sun's Twitter was like, okay, here we go. And of course we draft some unknown, you know, some other dude, but here's the thing like Cam Johnson is literally perfect for the sun system. He played so well. He was one of the best players we had in the finals. Like I've just chosen, I've chosen at this point, I believe in James Jones and I'm just going to reserve my opinion because, you know, at one point I said on Twitter that Alex Len could be, one of the best players from the 2013 draft. I said that in public to other people who had ears and could hear and could analyze. Now I said it in like 2014 or 2015. So it wasn't that bad, but it was still horrendous. So I don't have a right to say anything about anyone. So that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And speaking of how we feel about executives, I'm going to give you the credit as someone who might know better because you never said that Alex Len could be a really good player. I I
1: know people (laughs) who did though, and that's just as bad. So
0: yeah, well, you know, well, yeah. If you didn't assault them, then definitely. Uh, Troy Weaver, in your mind, are you? Because I I feel like when he came in, it was like there were some weird moves, and then some very good moves. And I'm just, I'm curious, like, what is your personal opinion? Like, are you a fan, not a fan?
1: You know, I, I thought what you were just saying about James Jones was very, very apt. When it comes to Troy Weaver, I'm somewhat in the same boat right now. I, I think Troy's great, uh, whatever you want to call him, Trader Troy, uh, the, the, the Troy, uh, Troy Reaper. Uh, I've, I've gotten to calling him Team Option Troy recently because everybody he signs is, is to a Team Option in that second or third year. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I have disagreed with some of his moves in the past and in the recent past too. But look, pretty much everything he's done has paid off. I mean, there are some some small misses here or there. I think you could talk about like the Bruce Brown trade for nothing. I think that was kind of kind of lame. I did not really like how that Mason Plumley thing worked out. Signing him to that deal and then trading him as a negative asset like that didn't really make sense to me. But the things that really matter, he's hit. Everyone was questioning the Jeremy Grant signing when it happened. You don't hear that anymore. Like $20 million a year for Jeremy Grant? Yes, please. Who wouldn't yeah. take that contract right now? Oh, absolutely. And I really like how he's built the roster in terms of the types of players that are on it and the contracts that they're signed to. So many of these free agents are getting signed to deals with those, like I said, with those team options. So he's giving himself... A ton of wiggle room when it comes to free agency giving himself a ton of wiggle room when it comes to trades like I think for me like what's very telling is between this and the Stan Van Gundy years the Stan Van Gundy situation got ugly because Stan couldn't realize that his approach was flawed and adjust quickly enough Mm. like he really doubled down he was like instead of looking at the first couple of years and saying, okay, what I did in Orlando isn't going to work here. Mm-hmm. He like doubled down on it. He goes, ah, it's not the system, it's the players. And that's how you find yourself trading for Blake Griffin and hamstringing yourself. Right. So for me, I think the thing that I really like about Weaver is that he's not going to do that. Right. Like he's going to give you that flexibility one way or another. Do I like that he traded Mason Plumley away? For basically, not for nothing, he traded down 20 picks in the second round. No, I'm not thrilled about that. But does it really matter in the long term? Probably not.
0: I'm going to die on the hill that that whole Mason Plumlee contract situation was an agent favor to Mark Bartlestein. Very possible. And that that will always be uh, an ace in the hole that they have because that contract never made sense. His fit on the roster never made, none of it made any sense. And I, I tweeted at the time, I was like, this is what it means to have a good agent because, you know, Mark Bartlestein is able to call it a favor and say, hey, use some of your cap space on this guy, dump him later, I'll steal guys towards you. I'm, I'm going with that conspiracy. That's my conspiracy on that one. I, I believe it, but like,
1: honestly, he got a lot of crap from Detroit fans. I thought Mason Plumley played pretty well last year. Like he was a 10 and 10 guy. I mean, he, he is what he is, right? Like, yeah, he, he is he, what he is. Like, and, and you look at the guys, you know, the centers and free agency this year, like Nerlens Noel is signed for what? Like 12 points, 12 and a half million a year? Like,
0: like I am not I'm not saying that this match could have worked because I, I know the salaries wouldn't, but like if the Suns had Mason Plumlee as a backup center, I firmly believe they would have won the title. Now, I, you know, that's what I think. They got killed so badly without a backup center. If they had had any reasonable backup center. I think that they had at least a 10 to 15, 20% higher chance of winning. And so it's like, yeah, dude, like Mason Plumlee, does he move the needle for like, you know, winning, you know, 60 versus 70 games or whatever? No, of course not. But he might give you those three to four minutes that you need. So like, I agree with you. Like, he's exactly what you expect. I think that people have weird expectations. It's like when, when Al Horford originally went to Boston, Mm. And he signed a max contract and Celtics yeah. fans are like, why is he only scoring 14 points? I'm like, have you guys, <laughs> never he's watched- Al Horford? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you've never watched Al Horford play <laughs> like what? And that's, you know, the perception is so much of what goes into all of that.
1: Yeah. I, that well said, I think that's, that's exactly a part of it. And let's be real. I think some of that, it, Cody Zeller kind of gets the same thing where it's like, he's a pretty good player. Um, but he's also a balding, gumpy looking white guy. And <laughs> let's be real, like NBA fans, they see something like that and they just think you're, you're just kind of like a body from, from the 1970s or something when it's like all you really needed was to be big. But yeah, I, I thought, I, and I, like, I think that's really the thing with Troy Weaver is like even when He does make a mistake, even when something doesn't work out, and of course, it's very early on in his tenure. Even when something doesn't work out, it's not like a needle-moving thing. It's not going to cripple your franchise. It's not going to fuck up your cap. Oops, sorry. I don't know if I can say that.
0: Hell Um, yeah, you can say any fucking thing. Perfect. It's not going to.
1: It's not going to fuck up your cap for the next five years cough cough stan van gundy so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah dude the josh smith thing that to me like i know josh smith <sighs> that is the thing that to me never get like he just like just whatever man just release you i'll just like that was it never gets talked about it never no, gets- no, that
1: needed to happen i i actually so first off i need to give a mea culpa on here you've already accepted uh, heat for your bad takes. I wanted Josh Smith on the Pistons a full year before they signed him. <laughs> I was so thrilled. Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond, and Josh Smith in my front court. Yeah, I can't shoot, but they block six shots a game. Woo! <laughs> it just goes to show sometimes <laughs> the best thing you can do is adjust, and I will say that for Stan Van Gundy. I actually thought that was the right move to release Josh Smith. That was just a disaster, and they were not going to get – they were going to be just terrible. They couldn't move forward until they got him off the books. They weren't going to get him traded to another team – yeah, you, don't, you it, don't
0: think some you don't think they could have banished him for the season and dealt him in the offseason for no, a It wasn't possible. No,
1: there was there was nothing to be done there. They tried, I'm certain. And I think they would have even done it for like negative assets. I really think they would have attached picks, even. Hmm. Not nothing big, but I think they would have attached picks and and yeah, nobody wanted Josh Smith, which only made it worse when he destroyed the Clippers in game six Uh, that very same season when he was on the Rockets, it was like, Oh my God. Like, Oh, just insult to injury. Anyway.
0: Yeah. The career of Josh Smith is, is one of the most interesting for sure. Like his, Oh my God. Yeah. That dude. And yeah. Speaking of which the career of Chris Paul, like talk about heartbreak. Well,
1: if it's not for Josh Smith, Chris Paul's career probably looks very, very different. He's, that, he's might be a champion right now. That's oh God. Josh frickin' Smith. man. And then
0: the same thing could be said right now about Bobby Portis. Not the fucking guy. Got all right. Anyway, <laughs> You know what? I'm not even going to go. <laughs> hey, Bobby Portis can shoot at least. That's true. He did. Yeah. At least he played very well. I'm just, I'm tired of seeing his like late night tour. I've had enough. Um, Dwayne Casey. Mm. A to B coach. Not concerned about the long term or do you actually like him like what's your thoughts like I've always been a believer in the idea that like you have the A to B coach and then the B to C mm-hmm. coach and the C is championship right he might need a second guy I don't you know Monty is pretty much done he's been both in Phoenix yeah what's your thought on on dwayne like what's your read there
1: I mean not to get all all Bill Simmons on you here but dwayne Casey to me he's a lot like a like a high school girlfriend that you're in love with is he the one forever? I don't know. But for now, he's the right one for now. Like, I like a lot of what he's doing in terms of building a culture, bringing, a lo- bringing along young players. I don't really trust his rotations. I don't trust his lineup choices always, or that he's going to out-coach the opposition at the end of games consistently. Like,
0: and ever. Those were the things that dogged him in Toronto, so that's concerning.
1: Yeah. So like you said, like, I think that's well said, like you need an A to B coach, B to C coach. I think as of right now, he's a great A to B coach. Mm. Is he the B to C coach? I don't know, but frankly, the the Pistons are not in a position to worry about that at the moment. Like the most important thing right now is development, culture, building confidence in your young players and staying as competitive as possible and, Honestly, I think he has done as good a job at that as any coach possibly could. You look at the team last year, they were terrible, but they were always in it, and they always fought. And you could see the growth in the young players at the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So for me, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I like him. I'm happy he's here right now. Come back to me in two years, though, and I'm probably going to have a very different answer for you
0: sure sure um and that that actually on both of those fronts it leads me to two questions for with Troy Weaver number one (laughs) how do you feel about the whole Luka Garza thing and number two um what do you expect from the Pistons this year in terms of you know just from the season the Luka Garza thing I just saw like an hour before I jumped on here I was like oh man just after all of the all the shit talking during summer league and stuff. Like, I'm just, I'm fascinated. you know what I mean? I, I like it. Two-way
1: contract. Like, there's not a lot of, this is the thing with Troy. It's like, was I thrilled about selecting Luca Garza with a 50-second overall pick? No, not really. I share a lot of the criticisms of his game that a lot of draft people did. But it's low-risk, You know, low-risk, medium-reward. I'm fine with it. It's a two-way contract. I think he's played really well in Summer League. Like, he is what we thought he'd be. But anytime you have a chance to get a high-character guy who obviously gets along well with his teammates, like, watching him hit that Dirk one-legged step back and then going down the court, talking (laughs) shit with Cade. That was awesome. Like, I love that. Yes, like, how can you not, how can you not like seeing that from, from any sort of a player on your team? So right. like, yeah, if he lost what 30 pounds and like, he's gained back a little bit of it and muscle, like, okay, I still don't think he's quick enough on the perimeter, but like if he can do the Brooke Lopez thing and become a really good drop defender, you don't need to be the greatest on the perimeter in order to do that. And if you can bring along an insanely efficient and difficult to guard game, like dudes hitting step back threes, like that's not something that just every six foot 11 center can do. So yeah, if you can get that offense and just get the semblance of defense, he's worth it. There's a reason Enos Cantor is still in the league, despite being probably the worst defensive player in the entire league. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And that his it is incredible his offensive rebounding. You watch Cantor play sometimes, and you're like, "What is this guy doing?" And then he puts back three, and you're like, "Oh, that's what he's doing." And then he gets murdered three times in a row, and you're like, "Again, what is this guy doing?" And then Billy yeah. Donovan says, "Can't play Cantor." I'm not I'm not <laughs>
1: trusting Luca Garza to play playoff minutes for me, but like, sure, okay, that's fine. Like the Pistons, like I said, the Pistons aren't in that position right now to be. Necessarily worrying about playoff games, especially when it comes to a guy who, as of right now, is what your fourth string center since yeah. Jaleel Okafor is still on the roster. So
0: it's just a fun signing, you know. It's just one of those things that you see and you're like, okay, yeah. I can rock with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you just gotta what? enjoy it, and and if it's a
1: disaster, so what? Like yeah. low low risk, and that's really been I think Troy Weaver's thing so far is like. Yeah, I would have liked JT Thor on my team more, but is it really going to necessarily matter in the long
0: term? Probably not, because
1: you got Cade Cunningham.
0: Right, right. Um, So you expect, like, your 20-win kind of season? Yeah, I mean, they won
1: 20 last year. Yeah. No, I I think this year the reasonable expectation is – and this is, I'm setting myself for a very, very big margin of error here, but like, I think 32 to 38 wins. Wow. 38. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think, I, I don't think it's unreasonable. And, and here's why I say that because the Pistons are going to have a better, I think the roster this year is better. You look at the fit of a lot of players and what their roles are going to be on here I think a lot of it makes sense in terms of the rotations where maybe last year, especially during the beginning of the year, when you had like Killian Hayes, Jeremy Grant, Blake Griffin, and Mason Plumley all out on the floor, and it was just like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, you, that's not a workable lineup. You can't do anything with that. This year, it makes sense. The roster makes sense. You go, who do we sign in the offseason? Oh, Kelly Olynyk. Okay, that makes sense. Like, big guy who can shoot. That makes sense to me. Um, so, yeah, I think 32 to 38 is reasonable. And and I look at last year's Charlotte Hornets team as a reason why. Sure. They were awful the year before. That team really just – you looked at their roster you're like, what is this? They made a couple really nice signings in the offseason. You know, bringing in Gordon Hayward was really big for them. Terry Rozier stepped up because – They had a a lineup that made sense for someone like Terry Rozier. And you bring in LaMelo Ball, who completely changes the energy and the dynamic of your team. I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, look, if we get a full season of Killian Hayes, we get a full season of the number one draft pick. Why can't they improve? Sure. You know, they would have probably won 23, 24 games last year had they been trying. I think if they try this year, You know, based on how competitive they were last year, I don't think it is outside of the realm of possibility for them to compete for a play-in spot like the Hornets did last year. Sure. Am I expecting them to get it? No, the East is better. But I think they can do it. I think they can do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Kings a couple of years ago, another or another decent example of a team that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere to win like what, 35, 36 games. And, um, you know, they were, you know, De'Aaron Fox is a young spark plug. So I think that's definitely uh, within the realm of possibility. I just it's interesting for sure to 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 put it all together. I mean, especially I guess if you consider like I, I think we have to say that the leap that Jeremy Grant made was real because it was, you know, season long and not something that was, you know, one month or two months kind of thing. Um, and we, you know, we really see what he can do in that expanded role. And then of course, over the season, as teams adjust their scouting reports, it becomes, you know, oh, well, they don't, you know, Jeremy Grant's the only one. Well, now he's not going to be that way. There's going to be a lot more support around him. I do actually think, you know, the Cade and Jeremy Grant thing, I kind of think it's I think that shit is interesting. You know what I mean? Like I, I, like the Pistons are going to be a fun team to watch this year for sure. I think it's an exciting team. And I do think too, like looking back with Dwayne Casey, um, one thing he was really able to do with some of those Raptors teams, at least once they got Rudy Gay out of there was, I mean, they were like a consistent solid offense, 50 win team, like five, six years in a row. He was just able to build that structure. And I think I'm. I don't see a reason he can't do that now. Sure, you don't necessarily have Kyle Lowry. I understand that, but who knows? Maybe Cade can become that guy, and and so I I, I see what you're saying. And then you mentioned one other thing. You you mentioned like Kelly Olynyk and stuff. You're generally you're happy with what the Pistons did, like in free agency.
1: <sighs> I'm cautiously optimistic. That's how I would put it. Like like I said earlier, I I love all the team options they got like useful players in Frank Jackson and Saban Lee back on multi-year contracts for very little money, which was, I think, important. Those are both guys who really could have a significant role on this team should they continue to improve moving forward. But there's some signings I'm not crazy about, even if I get them. For example, like the Trey Lyle signing. I don't like that signing. I don't think Trey Lyles is any good. I don't like that he has publicly said he doesn't like Detroit. I I don't like that very much. (laughs) And I don't really see a whole lot of upside with him there. Like if you bomb out in San Antonio, if Greg Popovich can't do anything with you, mm, I'm not sure anyone else can, but I understand it because they have very little depth at the power forward position and you can't really rely on Seku Dumboya right now. So yeah, they need that insurance policy. Same thing goes for like the Olenek signing. Uh, in a short-term, pers- from a short-term perspective, it makes a ton of sense. You replace Mason Plumley with Kelly Olenek, who can play power forward or center, depending on how you use those lineups. If you want to go small, you can play him at center. If you want to go big, you can play him at power forward. He can shoot, which is Obviously crucial when you have a player like Cape Cunningham on the roster who right. needs shooters around him to spread the floor. And also when you have Killian Hayes, you know, po- probably in that backcourt who as of right now can't. So right. I get it from like right. a short term right. perspective. I get that. I get it from like a superficial team building perspective. There's that, you know, there's that team option in the third year. So hypothetically, you can move him. But On the other hand, is he someone I trust if they do make the playoffs? No. Is he probably going to be taking up some of their cap space next year when they could be potentially signing someone to a max deal in a loaded free agency class? Yes. And I think that there are questions whether he was necessary. I just think there are going to be questions down the road with some of these. Right. Like Corey Joseph. Yeah. He's a fine enough backup point guard, I suppose, but you already cut him, which cost you $2 million. Now you've got him signed for $5 million this year. If Saban Lee is your backup point guard, well, you have three point guards there. What's Corey Joseph doing on your roster, right? Right. right. So, and I also think, and, I, and the last thing I'll say on the free agency thing is a lot of it also comes down to Hamado Diallo. Like, how much is he going to sign for How long is he going to sign for? Because that could potentially lead to uh, Phoenix Suns legend, Josh Jackson being moved. (laughs) It could potentially lead to somebody else getting moved down the line. It could, you know, it could bungle their cap space for next year or two years from now. So, yeah, I just think, I think on, on a lot of levels, it makes sense, but at the same time, I'm still going to, question them because there are downsides that i can see here and i don't think it would be reasonable to ignore
0: that yeah and i think that has been a little bit of like the criticism of troy weaver at times right is like i mean his like the sadiq bay draft pick was awesome but then like you look at like some of the corollary moves like i mentioned i know these are old and i'm not trying to like dig things up but it was like i don't think anyone was happy with the way that the whole like you know, Bruce Brown and, and Luke Kennard thing went down. Yeah. Now, Luke Kennard, I think, with what, especially what the Clippers paid him, I think he dodged a bullet on that one, just to be honest. But, like, the Bruce Brown thing, especially that's one where, like, you know...
1: <sighs> I, think, I think the Kennard thing, like you're saying here, is a very good example of where I sometimes have questions with Troy Weaver. And that's not me saying he's doing anything other than a really, really, really good job. They gave, I just, at the time, I thought they gave up too much. Kennard was an established player, like a good player. You know what you're getting from Luke Kennard. He can shoot the shit out of the basketball. But it's not that they just gave up Kennard for the 19th pick. They also gave up four second rounders. Yeah. Am I saying that's bad? Do those second rounders necessarily matter? No, maybe not. And you got the better player in Sadiq Bay. So how can I really criticize it? Ultimately, this is a results-oriented based league. The result came out. He made the right move. But I think you can, and this is the same thing with like the Mason Plumlee signing, the Mason Plumlee signing or the Mason Plumlee trade. Did he overpay? Did he maybe give up a little too much? I think there is just a question there. The Bruce Brown thing? I really can't defend him on just like just on the in a vacuum I can't defend him on that. You literally just gave up a useful role player for nothing. Right. Like absolutely nothing. They did nothing with with Musa. So I don't really get that trade. I didn't really get it then. I don't really get it now, but again, like I've been saying, like Bruce Brown is not the type of player that is going to determine whether you make or miss the playoffs right and he's probably not even the kind of guy that's going to determine whether you win or lose a playoff series he's useful i really really like a lot of things he does i wish he was on the team but long term is it necessarily something that's going to affect them no because because troy weaver has shown that he hits on the big ticket trades the big ticket signings and ultimately that's the most important thing in the NBA.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of just another thing that James Johnson did was the, or excuse me, James Jones did was the, um, when the Suns traded D'Anthony Melton to Memphis in that, Mm. the the legendary Josh Jackson trade, as you mentioned. And the funny thing about that is that's always reported as like the Suns had to pay D'Anthony Melton to get rid of Josh Jackson. And while some of that is true, There's also the fact that Devin Booker fucking hated playing with Anthony Melton Mm. and yelled at him a whole lot on the sideline there. Dude, I remember one game he like... I've, I've said this a few times, but he was like, Scribby, get this motherfucker out of the game at Igor Kokoshkov. Like, he's, he was, yeah. So there were some. I wish I had there. seen that. That's yeah. like
1: Morris twins level, level yeah.
0: stuff. Yeah. He, it was the, uh, yeah. So this is, but this is back in the Igor Kokoshkov days when you hear stories and, you know, no one was actually watching Suns games or whatever. But in any case, you hear all kinds of stories about those clashes. And I remember being extremely frustrated about the D'Anthony Melton trade and whether or not, However much of, you know, those things are true or whatever the motivation was, be it salary dumps or just getting rid of Josh Jackson or whatever. That was a trade that frustrated me because I was like, was it really like you got rid of an incredibly useful player just to get rid of a player that you could have just released like it wasn't even necessary. Mm -hmm. But then the way that everything worked out with campaign, it's like, "Okay, you're right. It's like not every single move is going to be a home run. It's not all going to be gold. It's about what comes out in the end the Suns went to the finals. So I'm just, I'm just not going to bitch about it. Like, I'm just not like, I've gotten over the, you know, the Ryan McDonough years where I wanted to scream and shout at every single thing the Suns did. Now I'm just like, okay, they've got a reason. I trust it. I'll roll with it. And as a fan, I actually think that's really important because like there were years dude, where I was just like, I'm not even going to watch Suns games anymore because I have no trust in Robert Sarver. I have no trust in his executives. I have no trust in anything. And It just, like, I was so depressed about the team. I was like, I just don't even want to watch basketball anymore. And that makes me sad, like, because it's it's the game I loved as a child. And, you know, it destroyed it for me for years. Well, Robert Mm. Sarver finally pulled his fucking head out of his ass. And I'm curious, like, where do you lie on Pistons' ownership? I hate usage of that term at all. Where do you lie on Pistons' uh, managing partner? It's Tom Gores, correct? Uh, Yeah, Tom Tom Gores.
1: Um <laughs> let's I, uh, uh, I think at best he is. We kind have of our a, answer already, right here. Yeah, right? he's just who? No, because love. it's here's here's. It's hard to say because look, if I'm being real, he's he's basically a joke among the fan base. It's really hard not to laugh at a guy who is getting wasted on the sidelines while watching his team, then like throws shirts into the crowd and then like comes up to his star players after the game like hugging them and like mumbling like i love you man into their ears <laughs> like like come on that's it's embarrassing it's like uh, steve balmer attempting to give double hand jobs oh, on the my, sideline
0: dude that was the weird, like, there was no, that was so no, this, like, there's no, that was and, straight
1: up sexual assault. I'm people, sorry.
0: People were like, if that was a woman, that would be sexual assault. I was like, it was already sexual assault. <laughs> it was assault. already like, men. Like, what is, what is a woman, what is he doing? Like, how yeah, is that that was a...
1: crazy. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> luckily, luckily, Tom hasn't groped anyone so far. He's just, uh, fucked his brother's sister. Oh, I'm uh, not his brother's sister, his brother's wife. That would, Oh, yeah. Worse. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. I didn't even catch that one. Okay. Yes. He,
1: yeah. I mean, he, he slept with his brother's wife, allegedly. Allegedly. Oof. Um... Oof. Yeah. So, I mean, like... But, yeah. He's just... He's kind of a joke. He's a little embarrassing, but really, like... And I think you would agree as a Phoenix Suns fan, the most important thing an owner can do is open up their fucking check, checkbook. Yep. And... Robert Sarver didn't do that for years. Tom
0: 13 Gores, years. 13 yeah, fucking years.
1: Even when they were on the cusp of winning a title. And I think the thing you can say for Tom Gores is, even if he is highly embarrassing, um, sort of like Steve Ballmer, is he's committed to the Pistons, which was a big question mark when he first bought the team. I mean, you know, platinum equity is is known for buying things and then flipping them. Right. You know, he lived in California at the time. So it was like, eh, does this guy really care about the Pistons or is he just looking to, you know, boost that valuation, getting it from Karen Davidson for pennies on the dollar. I think he bought it for like $330 million, like a, a joke. She just wanted to offload the team after, after her husband passed away. um, But, yeah, he seems committed to the organization. He's willing to spend money. He's willing to go over the tax. He wants to win. And if we're being real, that's basically the only thing an owner is important for. Right. Of course, they need to make the signings. They need to, you know, pay their executives and do that. But really, you know, you can hire people to tell you who to hire. Really the most important thing is spending money. And yeah, he's willing to do it. He wants to win. I know people have kind of trashed him because, you know, he's spending all this money on a team that was, you know, bombing out as an eight seed. But like the fact that he was willing to spend that much money on a team that was going to bomb out as the eight seed should tell you something. Yeah. You know, in a couple of years, you could see him really going into that checkbook and being like, Okay. Here's two max players. Let's go to work. Let's win ourselves a championship.
0: And and you make a good point about Sarver, too, because when he first came to the Suns, one of the first things he did was own as owner was the Suns wanted to salary dump Kurt Thomas's eight million salary, eight million dollar salary. They traded Kurt Thomas and two first round picks mm. to the Sonics for one second round pick. And at the time, I like I didn't understand the concept of salary dumps and things. And, yeah, the Suns were good. The picks would have been 29th overall, blah, blah, blah. But that level of just like I'm not even going to contend like that, like that fueled my hatred for him for so long. And this is the first year he ever actually fucking tried. I'll give him credit for that. You did it this year. But it's like, dude, we have 13 other years to talk about. So I'm with you like a bad owner is a bad owner, but it's like, this is the one thing about James Dolan. Like we all make fun of the Knicks and everything as we should, but like the dude <laughs> has spent tons of money. It's not like for lack of trying, like he's done everything he can. He just does everything wrong. And it's yeah, like, he's, a, he's an idiot. That's not his fault. Right. Yeah. He's, he's a fucking trust fund moron. He's not someone who doesn't care about the Knicks. And so I think, as long as you have an owner who cares, that's important. But let me throw one little hot takey crazy thing at you. Cause I've heard rumor rumor from some people who, whatever. I hear things like LeBron wants to buy the calves one day and Dan Gilbert wants to buy the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Would you be on board with Dan Gilbert owning the Pistons over Tom Gorris, or more of like, hell no, keep me away from Dan Gilbert forever.
1: I mean, it's uh, kind of more of the same. I think Dan Gilbert's a highly embarrassing idiot. Like, but he will spend money to win a championship. Those Cavs teams were just, they were like, here's, here's all the veterans you want. Take it. Let's go win. And uh, yeah, I mean, would I be thrilled about Dan Gilbert owning the team? No, I, I think he's a scumbag personally. But
0: see, this is the kind of content I love right here. I really love just like giving it to the I mean, owners. come on. am like, a, hate them. I them. Come on, mister. Yeah. I mean, like, come on. Uh, the guy's writing like
1: belligerent notes to the only good thing that his franchise has ever, ever had when he goes to Miami as a free agent in comic sans. Call Ugh. me a fucking break. So-called King James. Like that shit was, that was more embarrassing than any Cavs fan lighting their jerseys on fire. Honestly, it was because it's like fans are emotional, they are often really just they they say stupid things, they do stupid things in the heat of the moment you're an ex you're the owner of the team like this is a fucking business. you can't do that shit, and the fact that he did was just like you know bless LeBron for coming back and putting up with it. Cause I sure as hell could like, it speaks to LeBron's professionalism. It speaks to how much he loves the Ohio area because like, I mean, if my boss did that shit to me, get out of here. Yeah. Just a joke. So yeah, on that level, I would not want him, but like we said, the most important thing an owner can do is spend money. And I think he'd be willing to spend money. So sure i
0: guess i guess (laughs) and that could do worse i guess that's where we are at this point in the league it's like i've i've sat here and long advocated for like we need to find a way for players or former players to own the teams and just get rid of these like no one who's a hedge fund billionaire or whatever should have control of a team in a league that they know nothing about and just give it Give it to Rasheed Wallace. Fuck it. Who cares? I <laughs> would, I would, I would, I would, I would move to Detroit and go to those press conferences every single day. <laughs> that would be, that would be the new thing that I did. I, I, I'd, I'd email you my resume. I'd be like, I'm joining <laughs> palace and Pistons right there now. Here we go. Cause that would be it. Okay. Two last quick questions and I'll, and then I'll let you go. Let me, let me, I'm very curious about this aside from uh, obviously Cade who else in your mind three years from now is on this Pistons roster when they're in the Eastern conference finals competing for a championship? Like what other guys are in your mind, like to you are an absolute lock. Look with Troy Weaver as GM. I don't
1: think anyone is ever a lock. (laughs) Uh, I think if he sees something he likes, he is going to go out and get it. So, which (laughs) is not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, if I had to guess, my best guess would be all four guys from last year's draft class, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, and Sabin Lee. They're all most likely going to play some sort of a role in this organization for a while. I think Bay, Stewart, Killian especially, I think have, have real significant futures with the Pistons. Another guy who I also think is going to play a big role, but I can't really say until they actually resign him is Hamadou Diallo. Troy Weaver traded for him and basically came out right after and said, yeah, I think Hamadou is a guy who I want and is going to play a big role with his team. So until that's not the case, I, you know, find it unlikely, but I think those five guys are most likely along with Cade to still be on the roster in two, three years from now, everyone else. I don't know. And I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two of those guys leave as well. Isaiah Stewart, Saban Lee, especially, I see more as backup options. I mean, Saban is like the new ish Smith. He's of course he's, he's a backup. I would be shocked if he was anything other than that in his career, but like, a lot of Pistons fans are super, super high on Isaiah Stewart as their center of the future. I don't see it as much. but So I could see those guys getting moved. But, yeah, I, I'd be pretty surprised if, if you didn't see those six guys in Detroit in two years from now. I, I'd be pretty
0: surprised. So in that case, like, would you, are you, would you be against, like, let's say that Jeremy Grant got, like, the Julius Randall extension mm-hmm. because they had like similar contracts. Like, are you on board with that idea? Are you against that? Or do you think that that's not something like in their wheelhouse, they're more going to trade grant while he's got high value. Like, where do you, I don't,
1: I would be pretty surprised if they traded Jeremy Grant. I, I would not be surprised to see him play out his contract with the Pistons and then move on. Right. But like, who knows again, it's, it's, I could really see anything happen. Like really all three of those options all seem equally likely to me. Um, if They do resign him. I, I would not want him to get like a max contract. And if that's what he's looking for, then I would say, thank you, but we'll, we'll move on and, and we'll find the next solution at that position because it's, you know, not impossible. And like, like I said, they have a ton of money coming off the books next year and the year after that. Um, with Jeremy Grant being one of those players that comes off the of books after next season, so yeah, they're going to have a lot of money to play around with. Who knows what they're going to do with it? Um, if that money is best spent re-signing Jeremy Grant, I think they'll do that. If they feel like what they're missing is is a another perimeter player, then I think they'll go out and get that. But I would be very surprised. I'd be very surprised if Jeremy Grant doesn't play. A big role in this team this year and probably next year as well. If he does get traded, I think it'll be in the last year of this contract. Gotcha.
0: So, in in lieu of that extension, that and I I know it's a little different because the Knicks had I think a, a team option on the third year in Randall's mm-hmm. deal, but um, just in terms of you think in lieu of if they can't get something done, it's more likely they'll move him. I mean, his value is never going to be higher than it is. So, who knows? I mean. Look. I guess it could be a year from now, so who knows?
1: Yeah, who, who knows? Because like the way that this roster is going to look is going to probably be pretty different. Like I do still anticipate them being a lottery team next year. I do anticipate them bringing in a player in what should be a really loaded 2022 draft class. So what role? Yeah. Oh, shit. Did I lose you? pay out the wazoo for a 30-year-old Jeremy Grant. But if he's the leader on this team and he's still playing a, a big role, which I think he can, um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see him get, a, get an extension for, for a two-year deal. But I think what's more likely is that he's going to want to play out his contract and then sign another big one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's probably only going to get that, that one last big deal. So he's probably gonna, you know, take it from pretty much wherever he can get it, I would guess, at that point. So, all right, let me ask you this. Any, if any interesting hot takes about this upcoming season, Pistons, any other NBA team, any Ooh. thoughts? Just anything that 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 feels particularly spicy to you. I'm just curious.
1: Well, I maybe this isn't a hot take, although I do think it'll be spicy. I think this Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green houston detroit rivalry thing i think this has like real legs i see this being a huge rivalry despite them playing in different conferences i could really see this being a big deal down the road there's already bad blood between the two of them to a certain extent like i heard mike schmidt's Uh, of ESPN mentioned that, you know, they played against each other in high school and they played on some teams together and they have a real frenemies thing going on. Like, you know, they're, they're cordial. They are, but they're competitive and both guys believe that they are the best player and both guys believe they should have been the number one pick. So yeah, I, I think that could be really one of the NBA's premier rivalries in a couple of years. Especially since, if you've been looking on Twitter today, these fan bases are more than willing to get down in the mud. They were both terrible last year. They're both rebuilding. They both have had differing levels of success, yes, in the last decade. But over the past 20 years, they've they've kind of been in similar situations. Houston fans haven't been to the finals since they won with Olajuwon. So they're really desperate to get back there. Detroit fans, of course, are desperate. We have very high expectations of all our sports teams, but the Pistons are, are certainly up there. Yeah, I mean, put me down. It might not be this season, but give it two seasons, three seasons. Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, Houston, Detroit. That's the biggest rivalry in the NBA. It's, it's up there with Steph LeBron. That's
0: how I see it. I, I like that. And I think the other thing about that too, is that's two like kind of classic marquee NBA franchises. Like, you know, we all remember the bad boy Pistons. Everyone remembers the Elajuan rockets, obviously. And both of those teams, obviously with their ties to Jordan, right. The mm-hmm. Pistons were like the last team to beat him. The rockets were the team that, you know, Oh, we, you know, oh, we could have should us. Yeah. We could have beat him. We could have ended the dynasty, blah, blah, sort of stuff. So yeah. Um, Those would be like, I would just as a basketball fan, I, you know, personally would very much enjoy that. And I think you're right too. I mean, I've got a lot of Rockets fan friends and they get salty. Like it's, it's fun watching them because they have fun with it, you know, but like, you know, they hated Westbrook. And then when they got Westbrook, they were like, oh, man, I always loved Westbrook. And then (laughs) and then when they traded Westbrook, they're like, man, I always fucking hated Westbrook. You know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Detroit fans. Detroit fans do the same thing, like very for better or worse. You know, we're very people from southeastern Michigan get very defensive about about our team and about our area because people like to shit on them. Let's be real. Like people like to to make their little jokes about Detroit. They like to make their really shitty jokes about Flint. Um, and it sucks. And especially when you're, you know, coming from a place, I think like Houston, I'll say, I think is a great city. I think Detroit is a spectacular city. I said it on Twitter today. Like when you talk about American cities in terms of culture and history both of them i think you can make the argument that detroit other than new york has contributed more to american history and culture than any other city in the country like i think you can really make that argument uh you think about like motown you think about the bad boys you think about uh the labor movement you think about world war ii and the bomber a minute you think about fucking cars I don't know if you've seen one of those lately (laughs) Um, like this city is huge and it was the fourth biggest city in America in the 1920s so I think Pistons and Detroit fans have felt very overlooked for a very long time I think Houston Rockets fans have that same sort of thing where people kind of overlook them in the 90s where they have a very legitimate reason to feel overlooked. And they have a very legitimate reason to believe that they've been unfairly discarded because I agree with Houston Rockets fans. I think they not only could have, I think they would have beaten that, that bulls team. Whoa,
0: like, okay. Now those are fighting words on this podcast. No, <laughs> I, I really like
1: that. That team was, they were gassed. They a three peat is so hard. Jordan was gassed. His dad just passed away. I don't think think they they, had it that year. And in a
0: scenario where nothing changes and Jordan comes back because his father, yeah, I I can, I can understand that scenario. I guess I'm just like, I, I don't know that he plays in any scenario where his father, you know, is murdered like that. So I'm just like, if you take that away, they reload. I don't know, but that's like a whole other fantasy world. I know if you take it for exactly what it was, I understand the argument. I'm just I'm never yeah. going to ever allow I know, the force. idea that Michael Jordan could have lost because I'm just that kind of stand. And
1: Michael Jordan fans never will. And like, I'm willing to admit, I was very young when Michael was, you know, I didn't start following basketball until what, 2000 and 2002, like the year before the Pistons won the title. So I didn't really like literally my first memory of Michael Jordan was walking into the palace for a, uh, for a Harlem Globetrotters game and seeing a big marquee that said, uh, come see Michael Jordan and the Washington Wizards play the Pistons. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait what? <laughs> so that was my really, like, I remember Jordan from the Wizards more than I remember him from the Bulls. So I was, yeah, I'm willing was... to admit I could be wrong there, but that <laughs> is really how I, feel. and, and again, I think that just like what I'm saying, not to be more long-winded that I already have, I think that those two two teams and two fan bases definitely have that a little bit of inferiority complex and well-deserved because they're highly successful franchises that
0: get crapped on, you know? Yeah, yeah. And no, I you know, I agree with you in, in a lot of ways. And I was truthfully, I was really too young to remember the first three-peat. I remember the fir- the second three-peat in, in in pretty good detail. And I was... You know, as a kid, I didn't know anything about basketball. I just loved Michael Jordan. But sure. Um, for sure, I I remember like my real first memories of basketball are the Suns kind of blowing it against the Rockets <laughs> and then the Bulls winning a three-peat. That's kind of where it it all came together for me. So, um, no, I, I totally am with you. I, I, I really do agree, though. I think that the Detroit and Houston thing is going to be really exciting. And I think, yeah, it's good for both cities because – You know, I mean, just truthfully, not on either coast. Neither one is dead center both ways. You know what I'm saying? So, like, let's get rid of some of this coastal bias in sports. You know what I mean? And, (laughs) no, I'm all about it, though. And I think, um, you know, truth, I think the Pistons are going to be a really fun team to watch this season. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you about it, because it's an exciting time for sure to be a Pistons fan. And like you said, it's like, I feel like the Pistons were kind of in that, Charlotte era forever, where it's like you're always getting the seventh pick and the eighth pick and the ninth Ugh. pick, and you just, you know what I mean. And now they're number one, and now everything kind of changes from that. So it's an exciting yeah. time for sure. And both teams
1: have a lot of young, exciting players. Houston had a awesome draft, I think. Josh Christopher, uh, Sangoon, and um, and, and Jalen Green, like that's really good. They got a steal with Sangoon, like that dude, we'll see, but like. I think that guy can fall. That, that, that's a real player they got there. So, yeah, I mean, there's no reason to believe that that both teams aren't going to be ascendant in the next few years. No reason to believe that they're not going to have two of the brightest young stars in the game. And, yeah, that they, you know, I, I think it's very, I think I think fan bases from cities that have very similar backgrounds tend to kind of spar with each other.
0: yeah yeah and it's gonna be exciting for the league because we need as much of that as possible because drama is fun as we learned from TNT so (laughs) uh anyway man Jasper thank you so much for coming on this has been an honest pleasure I feel like I learned a shit ton from you and that's all I ever look for on these things because I just have so many questions at all times I really appreciate you oh my god the pleasure
1: was all mine I I know we went for like an hour 15 here but like the way I am, I'm like you. Like you said, I'm. Uh, they say brevity is the soul of wit. In which case, I have absolutely no wit to speak.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> and
1: and I think and I think that last statement just proved it. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. we're, we're the two unfunniest dudes in the world. But at least it's informational. <laughs> yeah. That's all that That's matters. That's right. To <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a real PSA here. There you go. That's that's. I'm just gonna call it Detroit Pistons PSA. That'll be the title of the art.
1: The mm-hmm. I'm I'm McGruff the Crime Dog Part Two.
0: There we go. I, I'm all about it. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Pleasure was all mine. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. We'll talk soon. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Easily one of my favorite episodes I've recorded. One of the more fantastic conversations i've had with someone who just knows their team and knows their craft just an awesome time i want to thank you so much for joining please like please rate please subscribe please share all that good stuff and most of all be fucking peaceful in 2021 enjoy